All right, well, good morning, everybody. I am really excited to be here and happy to see so many coming out. It tells me that you are probably working with a lot of children with trauma or you want to find out a little bit more. So we certainly want to do that. Um, I have to do this. Welcome to Working with Children Who Have Been Through Trauma. My name is Rhonda Peterson and I will be your presenter today. So just a little bit about me, I am a pastor's wife. My husband is Harry Peterson. We've been pastoring in Sydney for the past 16 years. But I have worked in children's services field since 19, I shouldn't even tell you that, <laughs> 1990. I have a lot of experience. Um, most of my time has been in private foster care. I'm a director at Adriel, which is foster care and adoption agency. And we have several places throughout Ohio. One of the things that we deal with though, whether it's Sunday school, children's ministries, wherever we are, we seem to have people and children that have been traumatized by horrific things. So if you're working with those children, we have to have some tools to be able to reach and minister, okay? So that's what this is about. Um, is there anything somebody wants to tell me why they came today? What do they want to get out of coming here today? Okay, moving right along. <laughs> um, whether it's a church, work, personal lives, you're gonna encounter children who have been through trauma. So there are signs and behaviors that may make you think, what in the world is wrong with that kid? But what I want us to try to remember and learn is what has that child gone through and experienced that is making them act this way? So that's why we all need it. Okay, let's start with the definition. Can everybody just silence your phones? Because I have, I think I have adult ADHD, so squirrel. <laughs> So that'd be great, and I probably should do that myself. <laughs> I think mine is silenced. What does trauma mean? Um, these are some, and your handout has, not the handout, but the PowerPoint has all that. I just don't know if you can see it. But there's some several examples. One that threatens the life or safety of a child of someone important to the child. Traumatic events overwhelm the ordinary human adaptations to life. But after I found this, I found a better one that I liked. An emotional, physical, behavioral, or cognitive response to a deeply distressing or disturbing experience that overwhelms the child and creates feelings of terror, hopelessness, helplessness. And I think that that is one of the, the better ones I have. So be emotional, physical, behavioral, cognitive response to a deeply distressing situation. Um, someone tell me, just shout out, one of your favorite restaurants. Applebee's. Applebee's serves lots of different foods. Think about somebody that you really, really care about, someone that you love dearly, whether it's a daughter or husband, just think of that in your head. And then we're going to think about a, a terrible event like a natural disaster, perhaps a, a fire. So a fire. Um, erupts in Applebee's, there were several casualties, and your loved one was one of them that did not make it out. That is a traumatic experience. So anything may trigger that. Later on down, you might smell something. Oh, I remember the fajitas at Applebee's, it had that smell. And you physically become ill because now you're thinking 
about the loved one you just lost. That's what trauma does to us. It affects our emotions. It affects us physically. It has all kinds of manifestations. So it may not be just a child acting out. It may be severe trauma that they have endured. Um, so what types of experiences would likely be traumatic for our youth? This is just some things that there are natural disasters, Forced displacement is like being removed for foster care. They're being removed from their parents. Um, children lose their parents to uh, drugs and alcohol. Children lose them to being placed in prisons. That happens very frequently. Emotional, physical, sexual abuse, war, terrorism, victim witnessing, domestic violence, community violence, school violence, interpersonal violence. Any of these are very traumatic events. And of course I'm saying for children because that's what we're focusing on, but these are also for adults as well. You know, PTSD of course is huge with our veterans and those are traumatic stress disorders. There are three types of trauma. Acute is just one single event that happens. Then we have chronic trauma like prolonged domestic violence or abuse. And then complex trauma is used to describe a specific kind of chronic trauma where there's multiple traumatic events begin at a young age and are caused by adults who have been protecting and caring for children. The most common example of that is sexual abuse over and over for a long period of time, and that would be the complex traumas. I didn't tell you this was going to be a fun class. This is not going to be a fun class. This is going to be difficult stuff. Prevalence. Um, this one just shows how, how many people, um, through the statistics, research suggests that at least 25% of children experience at least one traumatic event by age 16. That actually sounds really low to me. Um, if you're working with children or teens that have been in a foster care or in the group home system, you can be sure they've been traumatized, and probably repeatedly, probably the chronic or the complex. It's just the nature of it. It's not, and if you do work with children that you know have been traumatized, it's not necessarily important to know what the trauma was. That's not the important issue. The important issue is that you can understand and work with them through the traumas. The details, it's, it's, it's irrelevant. Unless there's a trigger or something that they, somebody needs to confide in you and let you know, that, that can be very helpful. Uh, we don't have to know the, the ins and outs of everybody's trauma. Um, I am going to have a time for questions and answers, but if there's something that especially that I, I skip over too quickly, um, you can certainly let me know. This is one of my, one of the famous uh, things for abuse and neglect. These are the same age children's brains, three-year-olds. So you have the one on the left, which is actually the normal one. It's normal size. You don't have a lot of the dark, um, the darkness there. Prolonged exposure to trauma triggers physiological changes in the brain. It actually has physical things that happen to them. Neural uh, circuits are disrupted, causing changes in the hippocampus, which is the brain's memory and emotional center. The, the one on the right is the extreme neglect. It literally shrinks. So problems with memory, learning, behaviors are all affected when there is trauma because their brain is literally affected. A child does not learn to regulate their emotions. So they're constantly living in a state of stress, 
of hyperarousal, of maybe fight, flight, or fear, or um, freeze. So it's really important to understand that and have that. Um, we can help them learn, which is the good news, uh, associated with greater risk of chronic disease and mental health problems in adulthood. So we know we have these issues and we need to be able to handle them. I mentioned this just a second ago. Some children are very hyperarousal, very, very jumpy, and, and they have nervousness. And you might go behind them and put your hand on their back, and you get a really big reaction. Some of them um, react differently. Intrusive images, they re-experience things. Uh, it could be the smell of a cologne. I mean, there's so many things that could be that trigger that that is only going to take time to probably know what that can be but we need to be very sensitive to, to those things. Um, avoidance and withdrawal. So some children just withdraw and they look like they're maybe zoned out or they are just super quiet. So we need to be able to make sure that we are working with them as well. Avoiding things that prompt memories of the trauma, pulling away from activities and relationships. That's something that children may also do. So we have fight, flight, or freeze, ADHD-like behaviors with the whole hyperarousal thing. Sometimes. It, it's really hard to know whether it's trauma or if they have ADHD. So hopefully a parent can share if it's ADHD. You know, there are certain, and actually some of the same um, strategies that we'll use will be able to work with ADHD as well as the trauma. But zoning out, shutting down, isolation, lack of friendships, all those are possible reactions. The exposure to trauma actually causes the brain to develop in a way that will help the child survive in a dangerous world. That's why they're on the defense and they're constantly on alert. Um, they're quick to react, threats. You might even see them just instantly start tightening their fists, stiffening up. You can look at their eyes. Um, you can actually see physical changes. The stress hormones produced during trauma also interfere with the development of higher brain functions so they get stuck emotionally and developmentally. So I don't know if you've known somebody who seems very immature for their age. They just can't seem to, they should be, you would think, or, you know, ourselves, they should be able to understand this by now and sit still for 30 minutes. But they do get stuck emotionally, so we have to help them get over that. We have to give them um, hurdle help, basically. And we will hopefully, even if I don't get to it, which I think we are, I think we're doing good on time. I feel like I'm rushing. But um, that handout that says handouts, great label, is really, really good. It has a lot of great strategies to take home. It has stuff for the classroom. It has things that you can use um, for even with ADHD. Um, what are some behaviors you might expect to see from one to five-year-olds? So reactions following a disaster can include reverted behaviors like bedwetting, fear of the dark, speech difficulties, um, separation anxiety issues, confusion. They may, from one to five-year-olds, have tummy aches and headaches and things that we can't see. It might come out that way. They might be thirsty all the time. Um, so six to 11-year-olds can have some of those, but they also tend to begin to get aggressive with their behaviors, sometimes at home, at school, and sometimes even at church. Impact of trauma on behaviors, anxious withdrawn, difficulty with impulse control, that is huge. Confusion, disorientation, acting out, 
on edge. Um, some just seem to be daydreaming and staring off. Be aware of both the children who act out and the quiet children who don't appear to have behavioral problems. Um, how children respond. The long-term effects can interfere with healthy development and affect a child's ability to trust others, sense of personal safety, ability to manage emotions, to navigate and adjust to life's changes, and again, the physical and emotional responses to stress. Establishing trust with those children is the best way to build a quality relationship. How can you have a good relationship if you don't establish trust? So that is the fundamental thing. If one doesn't trust, they're not gonna be able to have a healthy relationship. And actually, if you can have uh, at least two people in the classroom at a time, that is best because then someone can maybe spend one-on-one -on -one time or be more observant of their physical um, things that they're going through. But some of our smaller churches, it's really hard to get volunteers, and especially to get an extra volunteer. So um, actually that handout talks about leaving the door open so that we have um, someone who can check in occasionally or sending someone who can do things um, and go get somebody if we need to. Um, trauma reminders also what I'm calling triggers. Triggers can be anything like a cologne, perfume scent. Someone's build or stature might remind them of somebody. The way they walk, their gait, their voice tone, mannerisms, nonverbal looks. It could be really anything. And so those things are only gonna be found out by probably time and working with them and establishing that relationship and that trust. Because, and, and a lot of times they'll say, man, you remind me of so-and-so. Now you don't know who that person may be, but that very well could be their perpetrator. A child's reaction to trauma varies, especially with age and development and where they are. Uh, their temperament, perception of what the real danger is, trauma history, if it has a lot of cumulative effects, adversities faced following the trauma, availability of adults who can offer help, reassurance, and protection. Um, again, you'll probably hear me say it a few times, we really need to have extra staff on hand to offer assistance with children when acting out or when someone is being triggered, and we know that they're probably going to engage in that fight, flight, or, or freeze. So the challenge, we get, what, an hour, two hours a week with some of these children, and we have to try to hone in on these things and work with them. How can we minister effectively to them and not lose control of the class if it is acting out and we are stuck with only one person in there? It brings a lot of challenges. How do we engage with someone who lacks trust? So we're trying to build it, but when they lack trust, it, it just puts another roadblock in. So there's lots of roadblocks. We need to be in prayer and um, working with them in, in addition to that. One of the things that we can do is something called trauma-informed care. I am not trained to train trauma-informed care, but that is one of the evidence-based practices that is used predominantly to work with those with PTSD and those who have been traumatized. Those that have been traumatized are living in that fear and flight mode. So we need to try to react with them to help them understand. Um, this has been in, in the works 
for over 30 years. It was developed to work with our veterans who had PTSD. And I do think that we can incorporate some of these practices into children's ministries and into, um, and, and again, I keep saying children, but it really does work with adults as well, that this is the same method. It's trauma-informed care is the same method. Um, it's a, this is just gonna be a quick overview because there's just not enough time to go into detail, but you can do some research on this. Um, SAMHSA, Substance Abuse, Mental Health, something agency, <laughs> has a great website, and they're the ones who developed this. Um, so when you understand what trauma is and how it affected the children you work with, it becomes easier to communicate with them, to improve a child's behavior and attitude, which is what we want, reduce the risk of your own compassion fatigue or secondary traumatization. When we get really involved, people who work with um, CPS, uh, first responders, police officers, all those can get secondary trauma and um, compassion fatigue. Become a more e effective and satisfied teacher is what we are hoping. So traumatized children and adolescents can learn new ways of thinking, relating, and responding. So we talked about the brains and we saw the actual differences. Uh, our creator knew what he was doing and we can actually get new pathways and our brains can be rewired basically to have the different pathways. So if a message was being blocked this way, it can be redone. So we have to work with them and help unlearning and rebuilding does take time. Rational thought and self-awareness can help children override primitive brain responses. So reaching them and telling them instead of, you know, um, you look angry. I see that you're taking some deep breaths right now and your eyes are kind of glaring. Are you, are you okay? And helping them bring self-awareness to the way they're feeling by using our verbal skills might help them. The essential elements of um, this is recognizing the impact trauma has had on the child, helping the child feel safe because they are in that constant fear, fear, flight. Helping them feel safe is probably the best thing we can possibly do. I keep going back to if you could possibly have somebody that they can really engage with. And I know our volunteers change, people do it differently, but if they have one person they can really connect with, that is probably your best method since we only have them for an hour or two a week to really be able to, to minister to them. Helping them understand and manage their overwhelming emotions. Um, I don't know if it's here or not. It is here. I always think of the snow globe. You know, it's nice and sitting on your desk, you know, it's so cute. But when you shake it up and that glitter is going everywhere and it's like a storm, that's how quickly our kids can be triggered and set off and in that fight, flight, or freeze mode. Um, helping them understand and modify the problems. Uh, respect and support of positive, stable, and enduring relationships for children. Helping them have a strength-based understanding of their life story. So even though there's negatives, What's the positive? Now they're in church. Now they have a family that loves them. Now whatever that situation may be and helping them refocus on the positive things is gonna help them to feel safe again. So anything we can do to bring them back to this being safe is really helpful. Because um, when they do get triggered, like I said, they just, they can erupt at any time. Be an advocate for the children we work with. If you, we, need to, we need to be their voice sometimes if we know something. And I'm kind of going to go off, off. If you're working with children in children's ministry, you are a mandated reporter. So if there is signs of abuse and neglect, 
you have to report that. So just putting that out there. That's free of charge. <laughs> Myths to avoid. Loving care should be enough to erase all the effects of everything bad that has happened. Children should be grateful and care for me as much as I care for them. Uh-huh. It is better to just move on, forget, and not talk about past painful experiences. This is not going to bring healing. This is not going to build relationships. These are just myths. I wish we knew the key to resilience. You can have children from the same home, and one is going to react totally different, and one is going to you know, be resilient and not have those things. I don't know why some are more resilient than others. I wish I did, but that is the ability to recover from traumatic events. Someone is very resilient. Some can and some can't. Some adults have and some adults haven't. It's, it's, I don't know, it's a phenomenon, I guess. But children who are resilient see themselves as safe, capable, and lovable. So if we know those are the components, that's what we want to instill in them. They are safe, they are capable, and they are lovable. They can do this. We can work through this. Uh, impact of trauma, accomplishing developmental tasks requires a child to be present in order to process, learn, and grow from their experiences. If they're zoned out, if they're angry, that's not the time. I mean, sometimes we wait too long to try to bring them in, and they're already in their tangent, and they're not going to hear you. So timing is very important, and having that relationship is what's going to help to know when is the right time to talk and when is the right time to just pull them aside. Trauma-informed ways to respond. Offer security and consistency. Recognize and respond to the child's needs. Provide guidance and positive examples. Teach new skills and healthier and safer ways of doing things. Give them choices, but don't give them bad choices. Only give them right, good choices. Um, that's going to help them to be able to narrow it down and to get into um, a better way of thinking clearly. When we protect them from harm, they begin to learn that the world is safe. When we support, nurture, and respond to them, they learn that they are capable. When we give them praise and words of affirmation, they learn that they are lovable. So what are some real practical ways of actually building a safe environment? How can we provide safety? Can we have one-on-one -on -one staff available for Johnny, and can we let Johnny know that each class, if it's not this person, it's going to be, you know, Sally. Sally is going to be the person that you can go to. Um, consistency is always best. If it could be the same person, fantastic. If you actually have children's ministry that uh, has people on staff for that, that reason, and you know they're going to be there, then make sure that they are hooked up with them and establish that relationship. But our church, for one, is one that it is people that's volunteer, and we rotate, and so we, uh, on, we have to identify who that person is going to be. This is going to be your go-to today. And usually they're sitting next to them anyway, so. <laughs> um, your handout has additional ideas and strategies. I just wanted to remind you of that. Help children get familiar with the space around them, especially if they're going to a new classroom. So when it's the end of the year and they're being promoted to the next classroom, you might want to take them ahead of time so they can start getting used to what the room is going to be like. Consistency is really important for our kids. Um, changing changes is sometimes difficult. 
I'm kind of throwing in, you know, I mean, we have special needs as well. We have autistic kids, and we have all kinds of children coming to our churches. And so being able to pre-teach and, and telling them about what's going to happen, um, especially when they have a hard time shifting gears and you have a fun activity, some of our kids have the hardest time winding down from that. You know, you want them to be, you're, you're trying to do the lesson now, and it's, it's so pre-teaching to let them know, okay, we have five more minutes left of activity, then we're going to start our, our lesson or whatever it may be. So that is really helpful, pre-teaching to them, let them know what's going to happen, communicate about transition time. See and appreciate them for who they are. Be an emotional container. Be willing and prepared to handle strong emotional reactions because the more they think that they can trust, the more they're going to tell us. Respond calmly but firmly. Help children identify and label the feelings beneath their outburst. They don't even know why they're feeling it or what they're feeling. So if you give them the words and help them identify it, that may make them feel more safe and then give better ways of communicating. That's how we help rewire the whole brain thing. Reassure your child that it is okay to feel emotions, but self-control is a fruit of the spirit we all need. Yes, I threw that in there because it is, and we do need that. So it has to be a balance. Yes, there are physiological reasons, but we also have spiritual reasons, and we do need to pray for that self-control. Uh, you've heard of the whole tip of the iceberg thing, how the, most of the iceberg is really underneath. So you have your child's behaviors and their outbursts and reactions up front, but down below is their feelings and their thoughts and their expectations and their beliefs and their traumas and all those memories that they have. Children who have experienced trauma may find it hard to see the connections between their thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. That's the triangle. So we can help them do that. It takes patience and it takes time. Understand and express their own emotional reactions. Again, giving them those words and help. Accurately read others' emotional cues. They are really, really bad at reading your facial expressions sometimes. Some are really good, but some are really bad at that. And so giving them uh, words and helping them to understand. I'm a little frustrated right now, but I think we need to work through it. Let's take a break, you know, breathe. This, this handout talks about some deep breathing and things, so I think there's a time and place for everything. Accurately read, um, oh, I said that one. Control their reactions to threats, to trauma, reminders, those triggers. Help them work through those when we can identify them. Children may act out in different ways and different reasons, but reenacting patterns or relationships from the past, increasing interactive, even interactions, even if the interactions are negative, keeping others at a physical or emotional distance. A lot of children push people off and they don't want to engage. Proving the beliefs that they have of themselves, others, or the world, venting frustration, anger, or anxiety, and they also may act out as a way of protecting themselves, which is probably the biggest thing. It's their defensive mechanisms kicking in. Based on your understanding of trauma, what do you think children and teens who have experienced trauma actually need? Hopefully we've talked quite a bit about that. We need to ensure their safety. Tune into their emotions. Set an example of the emotional expression and behaviors you expect. Encourage positive emotional expression and behaviors by supporting the child's strengths and interests. Correct negative behaviors 
and inappropriate, destructive emotional expression. So if they are you know, yelling and cursing, we have to stop that. We have to correct that. We have to intervene. But we have to help them build new behaviors and new emotional skills and new appropriate ways of expressing themselves in an appropriate manner. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. I need strategies. Okay, take out your handout. The page numbers, oh, I said it wasn't in color. So it is going to be like page 14. There's like two sets of numbers, but it's one of the first couple pages. It should stay like strategies. Those are some great strategies that you can utilize. I think I have it. This whole handout is really good. I just didn't have time for it all. So definitely read over this. How are we doing on time? Till it's over? Okay. All right, how can teachers and staff help? Do you see that on page 14? Use a calm, neutral voice, that one. Distract. You can always use distraction. That Sometimes that just triggers, especially with our younger ones. It's easier to use distraction with the younger ones. Offer choices when possible. But again, don't give them a good choice and a bad choice. Give them two good choices. Engage them. That is, that is so important. If you can get them engaged, maybe let them be your helper if they can do that. Maybe using them to help somebody. Um, do you have any squeeze balls? Something quiet that they can have. I, I don't like the spinning things. Those are distracting to everybody else. <laughs> so things that, could, that you could give them that are not really distracting but may just help them focus a little more, something to do. Um, sensory objects. Sometimes they, you can just make them with felt and different uh, materials. I'm not crafty. That's not me. Um, but just be aware that they're not distracting others. Give easy, concrete directives. Try phrases like, what if we did this? Or let's try this. And I love this. Praise publicly. Criticize privately. Oh, we should do this in our marriage, too. We should do this everywhere. Praise publicly. Criticize privately. Offer a break. Maybe they do need to go get a drink. Um, if there is a conflict, and it, maybe you do get a little too heated, Make sure you go to them afterwards and work it out. Apologize, you know, just restore that relationship. Don't, don't leave it till next week. Be cognizant that their trauma can also affect us if we know what their traumas are. So I mentioned it earlier, compassion, fatigue, painful memories, secondary traumatization. I don't want to get into it too much. But compassion fatigue refers to the emotional and physical erosion that takes place when helpers are unable to refuel and regenerate, like the police officers, ER, first responders. So they have to be aware of that. The trauma can trigger our own painful memories, and then secondary traumatization is through them vicariously, so vicarious trauma. On page 17 of that handout, are excellent tips and strategies for your classroom. So things that you can put in place. This was actually done for a school in Texas. So I stole it from the internet. It's actually, I think I gave them credit though, from the school in Texas. So it's for a classroom setting. There are some great interventions in there, like leaving your door open. And so trying to work through those things with them, the deep breathing. 
um, what's the word, what's the big buzzword right now? Almost like meditating. For, uh, say it again. Not yoga. Mindfulness, yes. So I get, I don't know, I, I feel different. I have different ways of viewing that. Same thing with yoga. I, do, I, do, I, I like to do Pilates and I like to do yoga. And when they say, you know, meditate, I start thinking about scriptures. <laughs> I just do that. But mindfulness is bringing it to their attention and helping them notice the way they're breathing and helping them to do the whole thing we talked about earlier, how they can't self-regulate. It's helping them to regulate that. So I do think that there are portions in there that is very good information. This um, was designed for to use in schools. It's very applicable to children's ministries. So please read this handout. We do need to take care of ourselves. Um, it's challenging in smaller churches to get enough volunteers, but it is best practice. We can keep one another in check if we have somebody else there, because if we are losing our cool, we need to step away. We do not. If we lose our cool, you're going to have others losing their cool, so we don't want to do that. Um, and then if, if all else fails, you can always use a, a really good responsible student to go get somebody else that we know and have that plan in place that's not like a, holy cow, we better do something. Have that in place. What has the child endured? Not what is wrong with that child. That's the way we want to do it. Okay, I left, I guess, plenty of time for questions, answers, um, what you're thinking. What was it supposed to go to, 11? Okay, so we do have 20 minutes, really. So what are some questions you have or um, things that you've thought about? Hopefully you got some tools and things that you actually came for. But yes, ma'am. Can I give you the mic? Thank you.
I come to find out there were other issues with other teachers, but you know, it all come out it all came out mm -hmm. because I'm like, there's a problem. Here. What kind of behaviors did you see? Well, he would try to distract me from teaching him by <laughs> wanting to go talk and then or just go completely leave the piano bench and which <laughs> you see that in hyper children and things like that. But he was very um, he was just so smart and it was just amazing um, the ability that he had, but yet he, he, um, he would get angry. Okay. He would get mad. He would get so mad at me. I'm like, just stop. And I'd be like, okay, you're here for piano lessons. You're very talented. You're very smart. Let's just take a step back here. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to talk to him and build a relationship right. with him. And when he finally left, um, they uh, he wrote me a letter. And he said some he said some things that were very scary though. He said, I am an awful person and the mother didn't read the letter before she sent it. And so that even clued me in further that he needs help. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote a letter back to him, but I also told that mother, I said, and then that's when she told me that everything that they had done. So Good. Excellent. So you actually became his advocate, and you did become his voice. And that's what we have to do is we have to, you know, engage them, learn. And when we do see stuff, we have to let them know. So great. Other questions, concerns, things that you may wonder if that's ADHD or you may wonder. Yes? ADHD. Okay, so a child was diagnosed with ADHD, but his acting out was lots of rage and anger, but with lots of work, um, hopefully some counseling as well. He's able to get rewired, to know the right responses, to put, because a lot of our children don't apologize, because a lot of them actually don't even feel remorse at first, so we do have to work with them. So being able to find those words and to know is, is huge, so that is a great success story too. Yes? <laughs> Yeah. Pray and communicate, especially if it's your own child. And let them always know. They can tell you anything. Daughter didn't have any trauma. 
Mm -hmm. but, but we treat it the same. So we are treating it the same. We have the same types of um, strategies. Yes? I guess it could be, but probably not usually a trigger for them. Um, but are they, they have to buy into it. So they have to, they have to buy into your motivation system. And if your motivation system is to earn tickets, they got to like what they're getting. If they don't buy into your motivation system. So if it is what, what's happened when they, when they get their cards, is this a negative approach? Do you get anything for the checks, or is it just a check? Yeah, we do. We'll do like trips. Okay. We'll take them places. Mm -hmm. um, but like one kid, I know he's, he's gone through some trauma, and we gave him a check instead of a check for us, and that set him off. So he thought that was terrible. And yeah. yeah. Another thing is actually making sure they totally understand what these things are in place. So any child who's like on uh, in in foster care has a treatment plan, so they have these goals in place, and we have step-by-step, step, and so we have to make sure they understand what that is. So you're not going to have a, a treatment plan, per se, but if you do know that, you kind of do want to work with them individually because maybe they don't have the same exact expectations to get the check plus, but you're not going to give them a check plus just because they're going to throw a fit either. So <laughs> there has to be a balance. more immediate. Immediate usually does work much better with our kids or something on a daily basis. So something you can earn that Sunday, because you're right, four Sundays until you get something that would be difficult. Yeah. One of my, one of my favorite stories is that we had um, little girls in one of my foster homes and she gave them marbles when they would earn stuff. They didn't get anything with the marbles. They just earned the marbles, and they were so exci excited to show me, because yeah, each one had a jar, how many marbles they had when I got there. And it was just to show me. But they were younger. So, But it is finding what motivates them and what they are in. Yes? Uh, I'm a teacher. Okay. So uh, a lot of times, what I find is you know, you're in a classroom children, whether it's ministry, it's a classroom setting, general daycare, uh, things like that. One thing that I've seen, you know, because I'm recently graduated, so I've been through the school system. They tell you everything you should be doing. <laughs> so, you know, you come fresh off that. But with kids, it's all about the individual. Yes. And accommodating individual needs. What might work for a child to get a check plus might not work for a child to get a check. Um, I did, I was a long-term sub in a district. I'm from Cleveland. And uh, I noticed that with some kids, I could just give it attention to. They're not going to fly off the handle, and that's fine. And that's how they get disciplined. Others, I had to say, hey, you want to stay after class, please? I need to talk to you. Um, accommodating different students is important because every child is different. And every child needs a little bit of a different accommodation because they're on a different IEP plan, individualized right. educationalized plan, things like that. If you have to change the approach for some, so then when you're dealing with the whole of all the students, then you can move forward with the, uh, the educational plan that you have. Mm -hmm. it, yeah, it's, it's basically they're all different, and you got to have different approaches for different students. And it might be tiring, it might be overwhelming, but it's worth it in the long run. <laughs> I would totally agree with that. Um, individualized, yes. I work with. Um, you're right here. I, I work with 
kindergarten first grade at church. Okay. Um, but I also work in a special ed classroom, so I get a lot of ideas from that. Um, and the church, like for the cards, I do that, but especially the ones that I know have trouble, I give them a warning before I even give it to you. Mm, like, that's good. If, we, if you don't calm down, this is your warning. I'm going to have to give you the yellow. And then, like, I give them candy or, like, a little Oriental Trader prize each week. Like, if they bring back their folder or their Bible, and then if they were good. Mm-hmm. And so, if they get to red, then they lose their prize. Mm-hmm. Also, like, I'm teaching them junior Bible quiz questions they don't read yet. Mm-hmm. So, we do a lot of audio and little games. But I'll, um, like, let one table will play Play-Doh as long as they're quiet with it. And one table can color as long as they're quiet with it. And they're still answering questions and engaging because we have a lot of sensory issues mm-hmm. and they just behave so much better that they have something to do with their hands. Play-Doh is great. Good right. good idea. As long as they're not getting in the carpet. But yes. Right. <laughs> so um, just, it just it's going to depend on the kids. Some of them, we have one little girl that's autistic that we have a teenager come and sit with her each week and she kind of talks her through it. It's good. Um, give her a fidgety ball, like a spiky ball or something mm-hmm. just to hold. Mm-hmm. As long as she's not throwing, <laughs> um, just little things like that. They have like sensory blankets. You can make like mm-hmm. heavy yes. blankets. Yes. Um, there's Pinterest has tons of ideas for sensory stuff. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yes. So you just use it as an analogy. Absolutely. Okay. When I'm teaching strike one, um, they will look at you. Mm-hmm. On the flip side of that, I will also, during my lesson or whatever, say, Johnny, I love the way you act together. And keep on going. Mm-hmm. Don't draw the attention. Don't, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. You're going to do this. Strike one. Keep on talking. Right. Keep Good. On teaching. And then positive praise. As soon as you see that Johnny has his feet on the floor, sometimes it's as simple as, I love the way you picked up your pencil. That's good. We do have to we have to catch them being good and find the positives. I'm sorry, I don't mean to monopolize. I have a question not about students. Okay. I'm new to the high school. I have a TA in my classroom, um, teacher's assistant. Um, the first day I told my high school students I have three rules. Be nice, be kind, no foul language. Period. Um, because high school students at that age love a lot of words that I know what they are. I don't mm-hmm. want them in my classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, I've made it very clear to them, strike one, strike two, you are out. I can't send them out. Um, for the most part of my classroom, if they slip and I give them that look, it's like, oops. You know. Good. Um, however, I'm very, I'm, I'm very matter of fact. I'm very soft-spoken. I'm not going to 
raise my voice to mm-hmm. you, that's what you get at mm-hmm. home, right. that's what you see. A lot of trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh, parents who are in prison, jail, right. um, drugs, whatever. I have a TA that will take over. She's been there longer than I have. Um, raises her voice, tells the kids how bad they are, what she's not going to put up with. Um, she says, I've had a couple students that will argue with each other and I'm teaching the rest of them, she will automatically say, put it away, put everything away right now. How do I handle that? <laughs> I, I, I think that's so an administration thing. <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah. Uh, do you guys not do trainings in your school? I would definitely. Um, uh, yeah. Is it effective for her? Because that's that's going to even make it. I was going to say that's going to make it more problematic if she thinks that they're listening to her. That actually makes it even more difficult. They fear her. Um, out of they respect her out of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, they respect me out of respect. Mm-hmm. Um, I did bring it to her attention, and she treated me as if she were talking to one of the other students and mm-hmm. raised her voice. I said, please don't. Yeah. If she and if somebody raises it back, then she's going to engage in a power struggle. Nobody wants that. No one's no, a, no one wins in a power struggle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Kind of. Yeah. Okay. Um, so one thing is, behavior is the language of the child. So we really have to keep that in mind when we're trying to figure out, you know, why is she doing this? Remember that their parents can tell you something. Um, and I think the best way to kind of figure that out is to connect with them. And maybe even with your TA, just trying to connect with her. Um, but I think connecting with these kiddos yeah. is so Yes. Yeah. Good. Thank you. Oh, all the way. Okay. I see that hand. (laughs) And we we can probably take about two more. So I'm I'm still a senior in high school. Oh, good. So as going into like that field, mm-hmm. I know that parents can sometimes like sometimes be really rough. Like how you said that parents might be their cheerleaders. Like so, what are you supposed to do in the circumstances that they don't have a cheerleader at home? Mm-hmm. That will, like how are you supposed to address them, saying, "Hey, I think that your kid is going to need some extra help at home without offending them." Mm. Well, that that is tough, but they they you you will be their cheerleader. You're going to be that constant in their life. And I don't know if you've heard um, stories about how so many people 
lift their, their, their teachers up because that was their, their constant and that was the one who got them over these things. That's why I want to be a teacher in the first place is because I know a lot of kids go through, like, kids are born in circumstances that they can't control. Right. This is the sad part about it and they have to grow up in that circumstance. And mm-hmm. Some of them sit there and they think, well, if I was born into this, there's no way that I can get out of it. So I want to be the teacher for them. Even Show them the way. That will help them yeah. realize, see the light of God and yeah. see and honestly. By having an open uh, relationship with the parents and, 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 and showing Christ through you, for real, I'm not just saying that, but for real, um, hopefully they will see that, and, but they may or may not. So you have to put people in their place, so maybe the guidance counselor and bring others who can put that in their place in the child's Last one. Hi, I'm a fourth grade teacher in Minnesota Schools, and so uh, we have um, a lot of trauma going on in my room. This year was especially traumatic because mid-year they split two fourth grades and created a third one, and that became my classroom. And so these children were feeling rejected mm. from their teacher. You know, why did I get kicked out of my room and so forth? But um, and it's only been 35 days that I've been with them. But the thing that I want to leave with you is you have to listen. And you have to love. Yeah. You know, you give them enough love and you listen to what they're wanting to tell you, it's going to go a long way. Yeah. Very good. Good. Loving them, giving them security, helping them feel safe. These are the things that we can do. We can't control what happens when they go home. We can't control what other people are pouring into them, but we can control what we're pouring into them and be praying for them. So, yes, one more. Good point. Good point. Right. Yes. Hearing the positive. Um, I do have some cards over there. I, if you have the app, it's all downloaded on your stuff. But I also have, I work for Adriel, we're a foster care um, agency. We do adoption, so you can grab something on the way out. But we also can help uh, bring trainings to you. Uh, so I think about it, and I hope you really did get something from this, and I hope you uh, go away with some, at least some strategies and tools. Thank you. Thank you.